1: on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy to use study guides and step by step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit KyleRicePrep.com. Thank you again, all, for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello,
2: everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Feel, and I'm joined by my co hosts, Stephanie Wyrock and Brandon Pone. We're joined today by Dr. Francisco Maya, the Canine PT. And he's here today to help educate our audience on all things canine physical therapy related. Francisco, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Would you mind telling our audience a little bit about your bio, uh, you know, who you are and your academic journey that led you to where you are today?
3: Yes, definitely. Thank you guys for having me in the podcast. It's such a pleasure to be one of your guests. So I am, uh, as Scott mentioned, known as the canine PT online. That's my my business, which first started as a blog and turned into my business. But I graduated with my DPT from the University of Pittsburgh in 2012. I was working for a couple years outpatient therapy, always thought that outpatient was really what I wanted to do. But once I really got into it, I realized that although I enjoyed it, it wasn't really something that I wanted to do for the long run. So I was looking around different options, different fields that I could get into and then at that point that was in early 2014 that's when one of my co-workers at that time was about to start taking the certification courses in canine rehab and that was actually the very first time i even heard of that i had never heard that pts could work in this field before that so that really got me thinking i started searching up online doing some research looking more into the field And then a month or two later, I decided to also sign up for the certification courses. Went through all of that in 2014 and finished that up in uh, early 2015. And I've been working with canine rehab since 15 now.
0: Wow, Francisco, that's pretty cool that you were able to transition from working with humans to canines. Um, What are some common clinical conditions in regards to what you see with canine rehab? And when you learned about that, um, would you say that they are very? It's very common with what you see in humans.
3: Yeah, actually, I was surprised when I went through the certification of how how common things are. You would think things would be fairly different, but but things are pretty common with what you see in humans, and then it's just a matter of learning how to apply our PT knowledge from humans to canines or to animals in general. But as far as clinical conditions, we honestly see a little bit of everything. We see orthopedic injuries, neuro conditions, geriatric patients, amputees, orthotics, prosthet- prosthetics, and a variety of different areas. And I think this variety is also one of the pros and cons at the same time of the profession, because the pro is that it keeps things fresh and it keeps the clinician on their toes. But also, in my opinion, it creates some issues as we become a jack of all trades and a master of none, per se. And um, at this point, pretty much everywhere in the U.S., it's still a pretty niche, even in, in large urban areas where it's a little bit more common to have canine rehab available. rehab available. It's still somewhat of a niche, so we kind of have to become a jack of all trades, so we can help as many patients as possible. But I think it also limits, unfortunately, our growth both professionally and as a business too, because I feel like clinics tend to lose focus on on what they're really good at and what they can really provide. So I, I personally, this is my opinion, I personally feel like I would love to see as the field continues to grow. In a few decades, because I know this will take some time to to get more and more people into this field, but as it grows, I would love to see the field specialize a little bit more, just like you see in humans, where within the same geographical area, you have a clinic that specializes in neuro rehab and orthopedic rehab and orthotics and UTs and so forth, so that way people really have a, uh, a specialist that can go they can go see instead of just a clinic that does everything
0: would you say that um you see, you know, you talk about having a specialist and so forth. Would you say that you would, um, like, for instance, if you're an orthopedic specialist in canine rehab, that you would be treating a lot of like arthritis or um, sprains, breaks, whereas if you were a neuro PT in this, you would see maybe more like uh, potentially spinal cord injuries or neurotype conditions for that?
3: Yeah, I think those are probably be the two major distinctions. You know, orthopedic injuries, you know, dogs have pretty much the same kind of injuries. They have hip dysplasia, uh, cruciate ligament tears, meniscus tears, elbow dysplasia, you name it. You know, they have a variety of different injuries. And then on the neurolog- neurological side, they have disc disease that can cause um, uh, them to become paraplegic or anything like that, they also suffer of different degenerative conditions that cause them to gradually get, get weak from a neurological perspective. And I feel like it would be nice to have clinics and specialists that focus just on those specific fields, even though we now understand that there is uh, some overlap too, right? Especially when we're talking about geriatrics, you know, people are going to be seeing geriatric patients and they're going to have some orthopedic injuries, but they're also going to have some some degenerative condition going on. So there's always going to be a little bit of overlap. But I feel like for this field to truly grow, I feel like we need to become more specialized. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit because right now it's still a niche and we do need to be able to reach out to to the pet population that is out there that's still in need of rehab. So I don't think we need to get specialized right now, but it is something that I see down the road as more and more PTs getting into it, that there's going to be a need for, even within the, cert, the same clinic. So it doesn't have to be a separate clinic, but it can even be the same clinic where okay, you're going to see this therapist because this therapist really specialize on this area, or you're going to see that other therapist because that therapist is really good with neurological disease. So that's where I think the field needs to go in the long run.
1: Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And especially to kind of hear your perspective on how really the profession or kind of the practices it now is, for the most part in canine rehab is kind of more along kind of being a jack of all trades to really kind of hit all those avenues. And you know, I kind of like to back up a little bit to kind of gather some of your perspective on kind of what the process was like going through um, obtaining kind of your certification in canine rehab and kind of what you learned, what was the process like, and kind of of how it helped develop you to kind of get that good sense of kind of like a jack of all trades canine um, practitioner
3: so i mean the the certification process is not just a weekend course it is a series of different modules that that you go through so you really invest a lot of money invest a lot of time into it so when you make the decision all right i'm going to do this you really got to already had you know done your research and looked into it and um and as I was doing the research back in 2014, I was kind of disappointed because I was trying to look up stuff on Google and I wasn't coming up with much at all, actually, because all, all I was finding was the website for the two different places that you can get certified. It may be a local clinic here and there that was popping up on my my Google search findings, but there wasn't anything really out there telling us, especially therapists, of kind of like, this is what this field is about. This is how you can get through it. And, and this is how you can transition into it. So it was actually based on based on this issue that I had when I was going through this process. That back in uh, it's going to be two years now. Actually, it's going to be April of 2016. I created the K9PT, which when I when I mentioned during my introduction, the K9PT started as a blog. It was a blog that I made it to help educate therapists and help educate the general population too about the field of canine rehab because there wasn't really anything out there if you started doing Google searches. So the, the canine PT started with that. And then last year, once I decided to leave the clinic where I was at and open up my own business, it just made sense for me to transition the canine PT into what it is today, which is my canine rehab mobile business in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, very cool, and and Francisco, I'm kind of curious. What what was the cost of kind of just going through the certification process, and kind of who would be like? What are the kind of prerequisites that you kind of have to be to kind of even qualify for going through that certification?
3: It's not a simple answer, as. Um as who we can get certified, but also you need to be aware of the legislation that each state has it and how that state allows you to work with animals. So as, as I briefly mentioned, currently in the United States, there are two places where someone can get certified in canine rehab. One of them is the Canine Rehab Institute, which is where I went through and uh, where now I also uh, work as one of their faculties. And then the other place is the Northeastern Seminars, which is also known as the University of Tennessee program because they're affiliated somewhat with the University of Tennessee. And at the Canine Rehab Institute, they allow physical therapists, veterinarians, and veterinary nurses and technicians to go through the program. But at the University of Tennessee, they also allow physical therapy assistants and occupational therapists as well to, to go through through their certification. So, so like I mentioned, each, each program is going to vary a little bit on its structure, but they both include a variety of modules and exams that altogether, I think last time I added up, it takes about close to 200 hours total of courses, of exams, of self-study, and also of a 40-hour internship that both uh, both certification places have it at the end. You do a 40-hour internship at a, a clinic affiliated with them in the United States. So it's it's not just a weekend course, and you got to make sure that you're, you're putting the, the commitment into it. But um, just to, to dial back a little bit, so even though The University of Tennessee allows CTAs and occupational therapists as well. I would recommend those to look into the, especially occupational therapists that are listening to the podcast, to look at your legislation, because as far as I know, and I'm not 100% correct on this, there is not a single state in the United States that allow legally occupational therapists to work directly with animals. So, you know, any occupational therapists that are thinking of looking into it, really look into the legislation. Now, don't quote me on that, but at least last time I heard that was the case. And, and PTA is also, a, a, it's a whole other issue because the reason why the Canine Rehab Institute stopped accepting PTAs directly, and they still do. Uh, under certain conditions if the PTA can prove that they have a letter of employment from a veterinary clinic. But the issue that was going on is that PTAs were graduating with their canine rehab certification, and they were having a hard time finding a job, mostly because clinics were looking to hire either a veterinary technician or a PTA to to, to run some of the treatment. And more often than not, they were leaning towards the veterinary technicians because if there was a downtime and the schedule wasn't full, the veterinary technicians are trained to do other things in the clinic, You know, especially since a lot of clinics don't do just rehab. They also do still primary care veterinary. So the veterinary technician was able to provide them with with certain skills that the PTA couldn't because of their training in the veterinary field. And that's one of the reasons why CRI uh, took a step back in just directly allowing PTAs to go through the program. So if you are a PTA and you're listening to this, um, just just keep that in mind as well if if you decide to go through the program.
0: So you talked a little bit about uh, states that potentially – do or do not allow PTAs or OTs to practice in canine therapy. Can you tell our audience about some of the states that are currently canine therapy friendly as far as legislation goes?
3: Definitely, because I think, like I said, it's pretty important to know what where your state stands as far as the legislation before you commit into it. So, Uh, Basically, there are currently five states that would fall in the category of mostly friendly states, per se. And those are Nevada and Nebraska, who have changed the language through the Veterinary Board to allow peace to work in the field. And also Colorado, New Hampshire, and Utah, that actually have changed the wording in the Physical Therapy Practice Act in those states. Um, On the other hand, you have some states, like New York and Texas, that it makes super hard for PTs to to work in this field, especially New York. I would probably say New York gets the award for worst one because for you in the state of New York to even touch an animal as a patient, you have to be either a veterinarian or a veterinary technician or nurse. There is no there's no in between over there. You have to be one of those two things. So um, so PTs have have a really hard time in New York. Then. The, the, the issue is that pretty much every other state in between falls somewhere in the big gray area of where they stand as far as legislation goes. And one of the major issues is, uh, like, I, like I mentioned, is is the language within the, the PT Practice Act of a lot of those states. Because if you look when they define physical therapy in the Physical Therapy Practice Act, pretty much all of those states that have not changed the language, they, they define physical therapy as a treatment of individuals or person. And um, and the states that, that I mentioned that have changed the language within the Physical Therapeutics Act have made the change to patients or clients instead of individuals or persons. So that kind of like opens up the door for for animals in that. So for example, since I, I live in Chicago, I live in Illinois, you know, let me give the example of Illinois because it, it is it is a big gray area. So in Illinois, I can work with animals under the referral uh, of a primary care veterinarian based on an amendment that was within the Veterinary Practice Act that allows other licensed professionals to work under their supervision or under their referral. But that's all good because it allows me to work with the animals in a legal way in Illinois, but it also creates a variety of other issues because one, there is no minimum requirement for what licensed professionals entails. The legislation just says licensed professionals. So it doesn't specify what, what professions those, those are. And also, there's no minimum requirement as far as training as well. So it doesn't say, oh, you need 200 hours of training to, to work with animals, which would mean you need a certification. You know, It just says that a licensed professional. So, so a lot of states are, are, are in that gray area. Of course, no, I don't think anyone wants to transition from human to canine PT without going any sort of certification. But legally speaking, in a lot of states, that is allowed, unfortunately. So that is something that definitely um, we, we need to work to change. So the other issue, since the PT Practice Act states individuals, for example, um, I cannot get any continued education credit for a course in canine rehab because the PT doesn't we're not allowed to treat you know with with it doesn't define physical therapy as treating a client or a patient or an an individual so and it also creates an issue regarding liability insurance too sometimes so that's why it's important if you're working in the field to, to make sure that you're talking with whatever um, medical malpractice insurance you have to make sure that they're covering what what you're covering. So for, for states like Illinois, the, the first step it's, would be to change the wording to client or patient, and then work with the veterinary board t- so we can together create a minimum set of requirements that someone has to go through to be qualified to work in the field.
2: Yeah, so Francisco, in the meantime, let's say you are a physical therapist and you get your CCRT and you're in a state that's not exactly, you know, canine therapy friendly what are some tips or some pointers you have uh, for a physical therapist who's interested in still practicing in a state, maybe like Illinois, like where you're at, or, or, you know, a state where the legislature isn't really clear. Um, You know, it it, it isn't necessarily a reason to be dissuaded, right? I mean, there are ways that you can, can possibly treat, what were some of the tips?
3: So yes, you can definitely treat because there are different therapists that are treating a variety of those states, but it, it, it creates a little bit of a word play because you, you cannot call what you do as physical therapy. You can call yourself a physical therapist, of course, because you're still a licensed physical therapist, but you cannot call what you do physical therapy. So you need to call what you do rehab or rehabilitation or, or whatever it may be. So it creates a little bit of the, the play game. Um, but on the other hand, even in states where, where things are a little bit more clear, since the term physical therapy is a protected term in all 50 states, if a veterinary clinic does not have a physical therapist on staff, they cannot advertise themselves as providing canine physical therapy. They can only say that they do canine rehab or canine rehabilitation. So I think a lot of confusion within the general public because the general public don't know. They just see a clinic advertising as doing canine rehab and they're like, okay, I'm taking my dog for rehab, but they don't know the level of education or who, whoever is, is giving the treatment to their pet. You know, it can vary from someone with a doctorate degree in physical therapy or someone with a doctorate degree in veterinary medicine, all the way to a veterinary technician, which I don't even know, to be quite honest, the, the difference in different like license, register, veterinary techs and everything, because that, that's a whole issue within the veterinary professional. But you can be in a lot of states of veterinary technician without even going through an accredited program. You can do what they call in-house training, where the clinic that you work at trains you to be a vet tech without actually going to school to be one. And I know that's a big issue within the veterinary community community. And they're trying to address that. And the, and now there's even an initiative to make sure that people who have the training are called veterinary nurses. So that way there's some uh, distinguishment between who has formal training and who doesn't. But the general public doesn't know. And when the general public sees canine rehab, they a lot of times have no idea of who is providing the treatment to their pet. Um, but for for those of you that are listening and you're like, oh, my state, you know, it's, it's not a good state to, to practice or anything like that. Um, I would say, you know, use this as a way to get even more involved. You know, I think most listeners, to be quite honest, are finding themselves in this scenario if they're listening to this podcast and they're looking into it. And uh, what I would recommend is to, to go ahead and get involved and help us make the changes that need to be done to advance this profession. So you can, you can do so by joining for example, the Animal Rehab Special Interest Group within the APTA. And and by joining, I mean, don't just join it. I mean, really get involved with it and, and, and be a part of it and know what's going on and attend your local chapter meetings too and talk to them about how some of those changes I mentioned within the legislation, even just a simple word here and there can make a huge difference in open up the doors for other PTs to, to join the field. And as we know, you know based on the... Um, based on issues like direct access and dry needling and everything that you know, the physical therapy profession has been, been fighting for a while in different states. We know the legislation takes a long time to, to, to change, but that all needs to start somewhere. And I would encourage those people that are interested in it that you could be that someone, you could be that person who is going to start driving that change in your state.
1: Yeah, Francisco, I think that's actually a perfect segue kind of to my next question here. You know, with you being a member of the Animal Rehabilitation Special Interest Group, do you think you can kind of tell our audience about what kind of things are they doing specifically to help advocate? Or-
3: so the Animal Rehab Special Interest Group is a part of the orthopedic section of the APTA. So any orthopedic section member can join. The SIG and no additional charge. So especially I know when I was a student, I joined like every SIG I could because it was so cheap to join as a student. So if you're already a Orphan member and you think you might be interested in animal rehab, just go ahead and join it and find out more about it. But, you know, like, like I mentioned, the SIG helps with a lot of different issues in the profession. They they are, you know, pretty much the the only government body that is representative, you know, Directly by PTs with the profession. So, if, if you want physical therapists to get more involved, if you want legislation to start tipping in our favor instead of physical therapists getting pushed away by legislation, joining the SIG is it's, it's vital for for anyone that wants to help the profession. Um, so they so they do so they do legislation, but they also do a variety of other projects too. So, for example, they started this last year where they're hosting. Uh, a weekend course as an introduction to canine rehab. And it's not really a certification or anything like that, but it's it's, it's more of a, a, a taster for, for PTs and uh, SPTs who are kind of like on the fence about it and really not sure. This is a, a two day course where, where you can go a very affordable price, especially if you're a member, if you're a student and uh and it gives you a a, a true day intro of what the field really is and it's taught by some of the top vts that have been working in the field for a long time so you know if you're a North member you probably saw some emails about it because i think the goal is to offer these courses a couple times a year on different areas of the country so right now it's on the west coast last year they were in colorado so you know we're looking at maybe places around more the Midwest or this coast, and these are for people on this side of the country. So, you know, they do a variety of different things to try to help advance the profession. And then also, for example, the SIG has a lecture at every combined section meeting that actually last month in New Orleans, we had record attendance, which was amazing. We had an estimated 450 attendees at a lecture, Mind you, at eight a.m. 8 a. on a Saturday, so it wasn't it wasn't prime time slot. It was eight a.m. on a Saturday in New Orleans. So for, for us to get a, a field room, that actually they had to open a, uh, 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 overflown room where people were watching the lecture on a screen monitor in a separate room. That was pretty amazing. So it just showed to us like how much interest there is, especially from from students mm-hmm. and from young PTs in this field. So we just really need to get more and more people involved so that way we can, we can start driving more PTs into this field and start to, to shape the profession how it should be shaped.
1: Yeah, no, that's really good, Francisco. And, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit and kind of go and kind of ask a question about the um, the advocacy route here just a little bit. So I know you said that, you know, there are efforts that kind of need to be done um, nationally and state-wise to kind of help improve the ability, you know, to kind of help make more states canine rehab-friendly states. I'm curious just because I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are. Are there any states in particular that are kind of really serving as a really good example and pushing that advocacy forward and, and and if so, what are the things that you've noticed that they've done to be ultimately more successful?
3: Um, so I've got more involved with the legislation just within the last year or so. So uh, I don't know much of the background stories leading up to that. But I do know that we use Colorado as a role model of what we, the legislation needs to look at, which uh, my understanding is that Colorado, they I know that they changed the legislation, like I said, to from individuals to clients to patients. So that open up um, for, for PTs to really get into this field, but they also set up a minimum set, set of requirements that a physical therapist needs to go through to be able to work in this field. And I believe, if I'm not wrong, we even need to hold a separate license besides a physical therapy license, like an animal physical therapist license too. So they make sure that people are qualified to do their job, which it, it can be, you know, it can be a little bit of a pain to hold a separate license and you probably have to pay a separate fee and everything. But I, I think a lot of times that's needed because like I said, we need to make sure that the professionals who are giving the treatment to the pets are actually qualified to do so. So having an actual state license it's, it's not a bad idea, even though it sounds like more more work on our part or more money that we have to spend on on fees or anything like that. So I know that that Colorado is is looked as a, as a great example for for other states to to hopefully f- follow their footsteps.
0: Francisco, I really love the passion that you have behind this topic. I can definitely tell that this is your calling and that you really enjoy what you do. So I'm really interested in what are your recommendations uh, for me and our audience on a book or two that either you've read recently or you really felt it was impactful for you clinically related or business related that you feel that we could really learn from?
3: Yeah, I really like actually the way you worded the question because one one of my favorite books is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I don't know if I'm saying his last name correct or not, but Start With Why, uh, which it, it is mostly targeted towards marketing and how to sell your why to potential customers. But But what I took from it was when I read it through, it was actually a lot more than just marketing. And and maybe the reason why I took more than marketing was because I I read that book last year when I was going through a lot of changes uh, personally and professionally while I was working and opening up my business. So, So I think I took it not only as a marketing, but as a whole life lesson of we each need to find our why within our life. So because, I mean, open, open up a business was, has been the hardest and most rewarding thing I have ever done at the same time. It's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And if you don't have a passion for, for what you're trying to do when it comes to open up your own business, it, it is going to fail. There is no doubt about that that it is going to fail. So I challenge every therapist out there. It can be a student, it can be a new grad, it can be someone with 20 or 30 years of experience to, to truly find your why within physical therapy or whatever other therapy. I know they're not just physical therapists that listen to it, but I say physical therapy because that's, that's what I am. So I challenge you to truly find your why because once you do, there's really nothing that's going to hold you back from, from, from your passion, from, from doing what you really want to do. I mean, you know, you, you're going to put hours and hours into it. You're going to wake up bright early, 5 a.m. or so every day. You're going to put your sweat and tears into it, but it never is going to feel like working, at least to me. It never really feels like working. It, I've taken my business from zero to where it is today, and it has been the hardest journey I've ever taken. But I would never have been, new, been able to do this, if I, like I said, if I didn't have a burning passion for this field. And, and that's what it drives me every day, is just the passion that I want not only succeed, here locally in chicago i not only want to help the pet owners in chicago to provide the best care for their pets but i also want to help the whole field of canine rehab grow and i want to show to other people what this is about and 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 show them the way of how you can be successful both professionally and financially in a field where a lot of times pts are getting paid less than they get paid in human pt you know and i want to show them that that there is a way for you to work within our passion and still be financially successful at the same time.
1: Yeah, no, I think that is a very important message to, for our audience members to hear, especially those perhaps who are maybe a little bit younger in their careers or or specifically maybe wanting to venture out of their current role. Like you said, kind of, kind of go more into their own business or kind of do their own thing, because I I will definitely agree that definitely mindset seems to be kind of the key between it all for sure. All right. So, you know, Francisco, I'm kind of curious because, you know, with any kind of clinical field, of course, something that always needs to be considered, and you kind of touched on this briefly before, was about truly finding the best evidence behind this. So, you know, from your perspective, where can students or clinicians go if they're looking for this kind of evidence-based research on canine, canine rehabilitation and treatment options?
3: That's a very good question because that's actually a big issue within the profession. Mostly due to a lack of funding, there is Done specifically in canine rehab. Although as the field has grown and gotten more popular, more and more articles are slowly starting to come out. But we do take a lot of what we do uh, from what we know from the research in VT And uh, you know, things do translate across both fields, is that the essence of what we do as a physical therapist is pretty much the same. You know, muscles are muscles, tendons are tendons, and bones are bones. So pretty much we can translate a lot of that thing into it. But we just need to adapt that to, to our four-leg patients and sometimes use our creativity as well, especially with treatment and so forth. But it would definitely be nice as, as a need, I feel like, for, for the field to grow is we start to, to do our own research of, of the different treatments, the different modalities, the different conditions that we see so, so we can better tailor that to our patients instead of being adapting so much of what we do from humans.
0: You talk a lot, Francisco, about you know, applying what we know about humans to canines. I'm wondering if this is something that we, that physical therapists could apply towards other animals besides, uh, besides canines. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so I work with canines, that's why I say canines, and, and both certifications are called canines, but, but the knowledge do translate to some other species. Um, I know some therapists that, that do some work with cats, um, that was uh, an article I saw recently online being shared of uh, of an uh, animal physical therapist that went to the zoo. Oh man, I wish I wish I had looked up which zoo it was, but it was somewhere in the United States where she was working with uh, some sort of lizard or komodo dragon or something like that. I honestly don't remember. It was it was pretty cool stuff. And um and there's also equines, of course, actually the field of animal rehab started with equines. Uh, if you trace back the history, especially I think it started in the 70s and 80s, it, it, it was doing physical therapy in horses, that's where it came from, and then it just evolved into the household pets. As, as the, the need became more, more apparent for it, and as people started investing more and more into their pets, and as the field of veterinary in general grew so much within the 80s and 90s, it just translated into household pets at that point. But there is a certification specifically in equine rehab, which the, you can get it done through the Northeastern seminars as well. And uh, and I know, you know, a, a few PTs that that's kind of like what they focus on is, is equine therapy. I feel like especially, you know, if you go to the Midwest areas like, Kentucky, Nebraska, Tennessee, there's a lot of equine therapy being done out there.
2: Yeah, you know, Francisco, you would think uh, a state like Texas that had so many large animals to take care of that there'd be a little more, uh, you know, uh, friendly, animal friendly laws out here. But uh, like I said, it's an uphill battle that uh, we've got uh, years to work on, I guess. well, Francisco, we like to wrap up each episode with this question, uh, as we kind of love to get everyone's take on it. But the question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, EPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it?
3: All right. That's um, yeah, I, I've listened to quite a few of your guys episodes. So I was expecting this question because I feel like there, there's so much that could be said about it. Not, not just EPT itself, but higher education in general. But I'm going to stick with higher education in general, not just DPT, because I feel like we need to figure out a way to make the cost of higher education more affordable to students. The cost of college tuition has gone through the roof in the last decade or so. It's crazy compared to even when I graduated from uh, my DPT program six years ago. How how much tuition has gone up just during that time, and um, and it's, it's it's honestly like a travesty that students are coming out of college with so much student loan debt, uh, especially those with higher degrees like physical therapists mm-hmm. and veterinarians are well into their six digits of student loan debt. And that, that creates a big issue because I think it just really hinders those young professionals entering the, the workforce because they have loan debt the size of a mortgage pretty much. So... I feel like as, as a society, as a country, we need, we need to figure out a way to, to fix that. And, and I, I don't think I have the solution. Um, I don't think that, that, you know, necessarily like completely free college is what we need, like, like some countries, but I just think we need to make somehow more affordable. So, so we're getting our investment, we're making sure that we're putting our work because we know we're investing our, our time and money into it. But at the same time, it doesn't hinder... The young, the young professionals when they're entering the workforce.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, Francisco. And to be honest, that is actually the number one answer that most people have given on the show, with cost being number one. You know, I, I definitely agree, and I know that's a big, big, big cat to tackle. No pun intended on that one, but uh, <laughs> you know, you know, and I don't know the answer to that one as well. But I like with some of the current programs, at least from the PT standpoint, like Baylor and South College, what they're trying to do to really try to make it more cost affordable to the students. So I think that's at least a step in the right direction. And, you know, first and foremost, man, thanks for your time and for chatting with us this evening about all these kind of issues and stuff related to kind of canine and animal rehab, as I definitely learned quite about a, quite a lot of new stuff that I really didn't learn before. And I thank you for that. And I'm sure our audience will too. Um, you know, but for our audience who perhaps wants to reach out to you or kind of find out more about you, uh, where can people find you online and on social media if they got a follow-up?
3: Yeah, thanks guys for so much for having me, um, and I, I hope I accomplished my goal, which was not only talk about canine rehab, but but talk a little bit of the the legislation and and where we stand as a whole profession because I think it's important anyone that's considering to enter the profession to to know that ahead of time. So hopefully we got that point across. Um, but if you're looking for more information, uh, my business page is k 9 ptcom and you can find me as k 9 pt both on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're a therapist or a physical therapy student and you're kind of like, oh, I kind of want to hear more about canine rehab in general, if you go to K9PhysicalTherapist.com, that's going to redirect you to my Facebook group that I created to, to try to educate a little bit about the profession.
1: Well, very cool, man. Very cool. And we will be sure to kind of post that link and such in the show notes for anyone that kind of is interested, kind of with some of also the links that we have talked about kind of this evening that people can go to find out. But, you know, Francisco, thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast as we greatly appreciate your support to help us advance healthcare education. We are very happy to announce that we have created a new tool to help develop clinicians into better experts. With that being said, we have created the HET Light tool, which LITE stands for Learning Integrated Towards Expertise. And what we've done is we've taken our first year's worth of episodes with experts in the fields of healthcare and education, and we've taken one golden nugget or theory on expertise and presented it to you in a very easily consumable format so that people can take one lesson or nugget per week, and map out and plan how to incorporate it into your clinical and educational practices. And by the end of the year, we think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how far you've progressed towards becoming an expert. To find out more, please check it out at pteducator.com H-E-T, which is also available in our show notes. Thank you again all for your continued support. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content.
2: If you'd like to schedule office hours with us,